Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, podcast listeners, Al Martin here. Hope this podcast meets with you well. Great news. I've got a topic today we're all going to resonate with. Well, I don't know if we all are, but I certainly will. And that is beer, number one, and AI. You can't beat that. My guest today is Federico Crespo, is the CEO of Valiant. He has unique insights on supply chain inefficiencies and waste reduction. His supply chain AI also lets factory operators work remotely. we got to get into that. His AI software was responsible for increasing production by 5% at Heineken. See, I told you we're going to talk beer and avoided holiday delays, which doubled down on profits throughout the last quarter. Introducing Federico Crespo. How are you doing, Federico? Hey, all. All good. Thank you for having me. So, so I'm loving the idea that we're going to talk about beer. I, I don't. I might. I might like. I might like bourbon better, though. I have to say, I like beer, though. But I, I might I, like bourbon better today. I mean, what, what's your what's your choice? Wine, bourbon, on, beer? Yeah, it depends on your plans. So <laughs> if you want to go to a, a party or, or you want to watch the game. So yeah, it's always around the occasion. That's a very good answer, particularly if you're Heineken and you're listening right now. But I know <laughs> I have the listeners already if we're going to talk beer. Uh, one of my favorite things for sure. So you say you are an entrepreneur, a tech enthusiast, a smart manufacturing evangelist, a coffee junkie. You know, I uh, relate to all those, except for the next one that I'm going to mention. <laughs> you know what the next one I'm going to mention is? Yes, sir. I always get <laughs> that pushback whenever I say it so, but I mean, it is what it is. You are a Patriot fan. Why would you, why would, why would you ruin that great intro? You know, <laughs> a, a, for those outside of the U.S., you probably know who the Patriots are. Why, man? Why? What, what, what's the attraction? To be honest, and I'm not nearly from the New England area, but I really like Drew Bledsoe. And then what? I really and now that's that, different. I wouldn't have expected that. I know, I know. Nobody does. And after that, I came to really like Tom Brady, as you may already know. So, <laughs> which, by the way, at the beginning, I hated him because he benched Drew Bledsoe. <laughs> six super bowls later i like the guy yeah that's what was my question you kind of stole my thunder i mean how could you like brady if he benches the guy that got you interested in patriots to begin with yeah and to be honest i really uh i mean i was just like okay with the patriots and i sort of like them but after learning more about how Bob Kraft run the organizations about the the culture that they implied that they apply there and how these great leaders like Belichick and Brady all bought into this uh, culture. It's, it's amazing to me. It's way more than just football. And you can see that with uh, uh, the results every Sunday. For those that are listening, Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback before Tom Brady. It depends who you ask, but the GOAT took, took over. Um, and then yeah, yeah, Brady the came team, in. But yes. And that Brady was under... A, Brady being a no one, you know? Yeah, I know. It was it was before and after. You know what's funny is I had a neighbor whose name was Tom Brady, and he was fine for many years until Tom Brady take over. Now there's joke after joke after joke as you <laughs> as you would imagine. But Bledsoe doesn't get as much credit as he should. 
He, he's yeah. now like I think he's running a, a winery in Oregon or something. Pretty famous. Yes, now. yes, it is. He's doing okay. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, he's not hurting any. Let, let's be honest. <laughs> All right, Federico, give me if you know. I gave you the introduction, but I'd like to hear you your experience, your own introduction, if you would. Tell me about yourself. Sure. Uh, so I was born in a we may say a manufacturing family. My grandfather used to own a huge, or not, not huge, but in my eyes, huge factory. Uh, so basically every summer job that I had was in the, in the factory. So it became like part of me with these manufacturing sort of processes and, and how the operation is and all of that. Uh, after high school, I went to college and well, obviously I left the, the summer jobs behind me and I started uh, working in different uh, startup projects and innovation agency. And while I was working in an innovation agency, uh, I started to identify that most of the world manufacturing companies work with a lot of empirical processes, a lot of human dependency, a lot of human decision-making, not just in the factory itself, but also in the value chain operation. And um, to me, that was like, sort of my aha moment mm -hmm. uh, with my co-founder, Adrian. Uh, we were both talking, it's not aha moment, but more of an evolution of the idea. And we talked and talked a lot, like through months and even years about these problems that we were looking at first-handed in, in the operations and, and how huge manufacturing companies, global manufacturing companies are way behind in, in the use of technology. And uh, so after that, we created Valiant, and well, here we are. And there you go, right? So I want to dive into Valiant, but before I do, can you set the stage a little bit? I mean, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what the hell is going on with the supply chain today. I mean, we uh, can't get anything. They're blaming relation on supply chain. What's the real deal? I got to believe, since you're in the business, you can give us the scoop that nobody else has given us. <laughs> I mean, it's, I would think it's like a, this sort of a domino effect that started or, or, or a snowball effect that started somewhere and then just keep growing and growing and growing. And then several set of set of effects like COVID-19 and now the, the war in Ukraine and everything is adding up towards where we are right now. Um, I would say that it, it really, really, really started well. It really, break, the breakthrough was uh, when auto companies were uh, deciding their, their operation, how, how their operation were, was going to go regarding like the production requirements that they were going to go during the 19, the COVID-19 early days. So many of, I don't know if you remember, but many OEMs shut their factories out, like no operation. And, and mm -hmm. I, I got to see that firsthanded because what many of our customers are automotive and we were able to see <laughs> their stress and, and the desperation regarding, okay, these guys are shut down. So what are we supposed to do? And how <laughs> the, the, the ripple effect that that is going to generate. And probably that's where the whole uh, microprocessor thing really kicked in. Um, and once the OEMs came back, they were starting to, they were thinking that the, the demand regarding cars was going to be way, way lower than it really was. So there was a huge demand swing on, on cars and that has a ripple effect all over the place because steel, like the, the actual steel companies were uh, on, above the space. 
And just like that, that, that created another ripple effect regarding plastics, regarding even paper sheets, like the, 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 the raw materials regarding plastic, papers, so on and so forth. It's, it's, it's drastically way over what it was expected. So that, again, that sort of started creating this novel effect in which uh, companies started either buying a lot or waiting to buy. And that uh, sort of uh, rearranged the, 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 how the supply chain is right now. Mm-hmm. After that, the, 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 or, or well, at the same time, uh, the COVID-19 restrictions, the, the earlier the China commercial war. So everything started adding up. And well, uh, I think we're living under a reshape of the, how the value chains are. I'm sure we're gonna, or, this is again, my opinion that we are going to see less of uh, globalized supply chains and more regionalized supply chains. So it's more geo or locally based. So we don't run into these issues in the future. I think that's correct. Are there examples you can provide that are actually happening now that are along those lines? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, for example, uh, the, the steel manufacturers uh, who use for China is the biggest steel manufacturer in the world. But now U.S. Who, company that used to buy a lot from China are looking to Latin America. Uh, mm-hmm. They're looking that the, the, the Latin American steel market is growing like never before. Um, and it's, that's basically because of some of the companies that were used to buy a lot from China are understanding the implications that buying exclusively from China has. I'm sure they're not entirely looking just to, to Latin America, but that's one, one set of reshaping on, on how their operation is, especially nowadays that uh, the, the, the macroeconomic things and, and the geopolitical things are, are going. Uh, I'm sure nobody wants to depend exclusively on one country, especially if it's not as friendly as, as we'd like to. So I'm no economist here, but uh, I do get supply and demand. And it's interesting, if you listen to the pundits around inflation, they say one of two things are going to happen. And I I really see them as diametrically opposed to one another. One side says, hey, because of where we are, costs go up and they never really come back down. I mean, that's just how it's going to be. Once you set the cost, it's, you know, nobody reduces it again in the future. On the other hand, I do hear some that says the inflation will come back down and costs will come back down because we're in a unique situation. You mentioned the uh, car market, by example, and I've got friends in the car market. Yeah, and it's crazy. I mean, they, you, they couldn't get new cars. And we all know that if you're watching the news or you're looking for any kind of vehicle, the used cars are often more expensive than the new cars. I mean, or they have been. It's, it's crazy stuff right now. But we are seeing some of that come down. Which side do you think is going to happen? So I think uh, cost will come back, the cost of raw materials, and uh, that will hopefully have a have, will have a ripple effect on on the value chain as as a whole. Uh, although it might happen both of them because the cost of raw materials might go down again, but and producers might be okay leaving the cost as they are <laughs> and they, that will make them just more profitable. So hopefully they will reduce costs. So well. right now you're thinking maybe a little bit of both. Yes. Okay. And and the thing is again, uh, uh, supply and demand, but uh, things since I, I've seen how uh, supply chains are 
reshaping themselves, that sort of reshaping is creating uh, demand swings never seen before in some uh, geographical areas. And that obviously creates a shortage of, of a specific item or, or, or a good. And that obviously drastically increases the, the good price. But once it's stable, it will probably stabilize the price as well. Makes sense. So this is a good spot to dive into Valiant. So tell me about Valiant and start with the name. Well, <laughs> we, we have a official uh, version of, on what the name means and a nerdy uh, version of what the name means. The nerdy one, I'm going to start with a nerdy one. It's Go with a nerdy one. That's what we are. Like, I'm a nerd, so that's going to resonate with me. Yeah. So it's a Lord of the Rings reference. Uh, well, to be to be more specific, a Tolkien reference, uh, and the Valar is where the gods used to live, or the gods live, and it, we started as the initial conception of value was more an IoT sort of company, and after that we evolved towards an AI sort of company. So we we would like to see ourselves as the gods of IoT, and and the IoT will live where the gods live, and so that's like the nerdy version of value. But also in our heads, uh, we are deeply, deeply focused on delivering value to our customers. We have decided on our side not to work with some companies we, because we don't see that we can deliver tangible value to these companies. And for us, value means producing more, cheaper, or in better quality. So if we're not able to identify how value is going to provide that to these customers, uh, we step aside. And that's sort of what the VAL stands for. So obviously you're a huge Lord of the Rings fan then. Yes. <laughs> so let's get to the beer. That's what everybody's interested in. All right. Tell us so, about... Should I, should I go and grab a beer right now? You're welcome to. What would you choose if you're going to choose one? Uh, probably a Tecate. I like Tecate. A Tecate. All right. I like that. I'd have to go with an IPA. I've said that before in the <laughs> podcast, but I'm an IPA fan. All right. It's got a lot of taste. Well, I got friends that don't like IPAs, but that even makes it more attractive to me. I can drink something that they're not drinking. All right, so you're drinking a Tecate. I'm drinking a, an IPA. All right, so the beer. We're talking about Heineken. You should have picked Heineken, man. That's the right answer. Hey, uh, is a Heineken brand. Oh, it is? Yes. I didn't know that. So you're smarter than me. You know, since we're talking about Heineken, I got to say that that's a freaking good beer. I drink that a yeah. lot as well. I, and, and my dad, he, has, he, he likes... Coors Banquet beer. I mean, that is his beer. But if he doesn't drink that, the only one that he'll drink is Heineken. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you got to give me a Heineken. So they got something good going on. Tell us about the company's product and the AI you use. I'd like to understand this Heineken digital transformation you helped to uh, achieve. Sure. So Heineken has this huge strategy regarding digital transformation, and we were just a, a part of that. Uh, basically, what we did is we create, we implemented one of our two products called Value Chain OS, which, uh, to keep it simple, uh, it it helps the, any manufacturer to do a smart procurement, smart planning of their operations, including raw materials, uh, production scheduling, distribution, so on and so forth. So we implemented this product uh, first in their Monterrey plant, which which is the large, uh, one of the top three largest breweries they have. Uh, and basically what we did is by being able to understand how the factory operates, 
create these sort of feedback loops on not just what's uh, an initial plan, but what's actually happening in the top floor to be able to, to identify how the, the operation is working and couple that with the demand requirements that also change, by the way, <laughs> uh, being able to set the ideal set of operations to, to maximize the, the brewery's throughput. So we use an approach uh, called system dynamics in which we're able to understand how the rate of change of one specific barrel of the system is going to affect the rest of the rate of change of the system as well. And with this in mind, being able to predict how this, this uh, system is going to be behaving, we're now able to set the ideal sequence of operations for them to produce more beer. Let me dissect that a little bit. So <laughs> basically, you're looking at throughput. So yeah. how much product that you can get out the door in the short of shortest amount of time is that correct yes and that the last part is the is the key part since it's a, a full factor saturated factory everything that they produce they sell uh they're at food capacity the, the you have only two ways of increasing the, the the throughput either getting more machines which obviously is super expensive but all and the second part is to reduce the cycle time of the process so us by being able to to arrange and continuously and dynamically arrange the sequence of operations, we were able to drastically reduce the cycle time of the of the beer process, and with that, increase the throughput. So, give me an example of next actions that I mean, you you do this analysis with your software. It sounds like it's kind of a observability software, where you're looking mm -hmm. through the operations, identifying gaps, areas of optimization, and then recommending next actions to bridge those said gaps. No, or is that yes. true? Or that yes and no. I mean, that the, the observation parts, we were able to do it in, in less than a week in a, in a factory visit that we did. So we identify the, 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 the value that we were able to, that we were gonna be able to provide to the operation just by going to the factory and understanding how that works. And uh, basically what our software does, it create the ideal set of operations. Like the action, it's not, I like to say that it's not just an inside sort of AI. It creates inside obviously, but where the really value, where it really delivers value is by creating actionable items towards the operation. So now the operators have a valued uh, UI that is empowering them to create better actionable items towards how the beer is being produced. Like you should do this, and after that, you should do this, and you should add this, this, and these sort of things to the process. Can you, just to, to peel the onion back one more, can you give me an example of some of those next actions that you've yeah. identified and, and you've asked the brewer, in this case, to, to take on? Yeah, so the brewing process has an, an, a different set of, of uh, machines and processes, and one of them is, is filtering a process. So you, you maturated your beer, and after that, you're supposed to send the beer through a filter, which will now be uh, ready to, to can or to bottle. And that operation on itself has a massive amount of rules and, and, and restrictions. One that is super easy and it's, super, it's public information is that if you filter dark beer, after that, you cannot filter light beer because it will stain it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it requires a set of uh, cleaning procedures and so on. And just like that, there are like hundreds of, of uh, production constraints that our software understands. And taking those into consideration creates the ideal set of processes that we that will make. And, and by creating the ideal set of processes, what I mean is it creates a, 
uh, let's say, a, a, a plan or a step-by-step -step towards the operation, like literally to the shop floor on what they should do now and what they should do next and what they should do next. How does software, in this case, you said it's Value Chain OS, which is the name of your product? Yes, Value Chain OS. Yes. How does software identify those gaps? Because there's a lot of moving pieces. Yes. I presume that they're not all well connected. So how does your product bring that all together and give appropriate recommendations? That That's a great question. So yeah, most of these companies, not just Heineken, work uh, under what I like to call data silos, mm -hmm. in which in the best case scenario, data is being generated, but also stored in a silo. And it's not shared with the other part of the process. So uh, what we start by doing is centralizing data from different silos and creating this sort of, I like to call it a layer that connects every silo one with another. And once we have that data centralized and normalized, we're able to analyze it and feedback the process with, uh, with actionable items. I'm not sure if that answered the question or not. I don't know. It might. Do you actually move the data or do you use some kind of virtualization technology so you're able to connect the data where it resides today and then make that determination? Yeah, no. So we, we just sort of um, create web services that pushes the data from their, uh, from the companies, in this case, Heineken tables towards us. So it, creates, it sort of copies the data on, towards our cloud. And from our cloud, we're gonna we're able to to analyze, create actionable items, and after that, send back the, the new data towards their cloud. Let me restate this to make sure I understand. So essentially, you take the data in the various repositories or silos, as you refer to them, and I think that's an appropriate term. You bring that together in the cloud, make your analysis, and then provide next actions. Yes, and just to be clear, I, we do that with every customer that we have. It's like not, not something exclusively for Heineken. I got to believe you're dealing with terabytes of data. Moving the data, is that feasible? We don't move all of the data. Okay. So we, we understand. I'm sorry? You, are you moving the metadata then? Tell me more. Sort of. We create what we call a data map of what we need. And it create, it includes what specific data we, ha we need and the latency that it's needed. We're not gathering all of the companies or all, all of the factories data at once, just the data that we need that, that is highly relevant for us to be providing the actionables towards the operation. For example, uh, if we don't need, let's say, the temperature of the beer in one specific point, but they might also have it due to quality items. I don't know. I'm just making this up. Since we don't need that data for, for us to, to be providing value, we won't gather that data. If I was to oversimplify and say this, tell me this is true. You look at the data, the relevant data that you require that fits the job rules that's been provided to you. You put that together and then you find areas of latency and then produce a report to say, all right, here's what we need to do to change or optimize. Yes, yes. And the end result, it's uh, in Heineken's case, it's a production schedule, always uh, optimizing itself. Didn't you say, Valiant, one reason you made the naming as you did is you want to be the gods of IoT. Yes, but uh, yeah, in this case, and, and that's why what I say that it, we sort of changed, but the name stayed. Uh, oh, I see. Because I was going to say, we're not really talking IoT here, right? Yeah, I know. The other product is more a IoT-ish as well. But yeah, we shifted towards only IoT to mainly AI.
that's what delivers the most value. Tell me a little bit more about that before we move on, because I find it interesting in that many startups start in one area and head in another or find that it's kind of like the way I describe it is you're, you throw a dart at the wall and then you move the dartboard to the dart eventually <laughs> over time. Right. And it's kind of, well, it's no different than I think Slack was an offshoot by example of another company mission they, they you needed Slack for their own purposes. They created it and that became the mission. Is is that a similar pivot than you guys have made? Uh, yeah, that's a really good reference. So it, sort of, we started by just identifying uh, how IoT might be able to provide enough data for the for companies to to create insights and after that actionable items. But our early com- uh, customers, they started doing like, yeah, that's nice, but I think you guys have the capability of not just providing data, but also providing what I should do with the data. We promised the listeners a, um, you know, where AI was, was fitting into your overall solution. So that's my next question. Where does AI fit in? What kind of AI have, is used and what kind of results are you seeing? Sure. Uh, well, mainly to be able to to understand the, the factories, we like to say the factories are systems, are complex systems. Uh, to be able to understand how complex system, systems are are behaving and how it's gonna, how are they gonna be behaving in the short term, that's where AI uh, really kicks it in. Uh, for example, our other product that is called Factory OS, what it does, it creates, uh, among other things, but it creates short-term simulations of how the, the machines as a, as a set of, the system as a set of machines are going to be behaving in the short period and to identify the ideal set point of each control element in order to provide the ideal sequence of operations for the, for the factory to be behaving on a smarter way, you may say like that. So... To be able to gather all of these data, we're talking hundreds of variables, and to use that data to create simulations in the short term to say, okay, this is how the factory is going to be behaving in one hour, and two hours, and three hours. And after that, how each set point of the control elements of the, of the manufacturing process change that simulation towards a better uh, KPI sort of thing, no? Is your implementation of uh, machine learning, is it core to the original decision-making or is it an add-on or adjacent to making, just making the original decision better? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> I'm not sure if I, if I'm answering correctly, but uh, yeah, basically what it does, it starts with identifying the, the, how different variables have a direct impact on the, on each control element, uh, either product variables, environmental variables, among others. And with the, with it, we first start by creating a range of in which these decisions are providing a, and I'm doing air quotes right now, good enough uh, uh, decision towards the operator to be doing things correctly. And after that, it starts reducing the range on the, of the, on the fuzzy logic to be able to continuously improving the, the, the decision-making. Talk a little bit about your differentiation. Who are your competitors and what do you do that no one else does? Yeah, so it depends on, on how you look at competition. I really, really like Clayton Christensen's definition of, of competition, which by the way, Clayton Christensen would have been, would have turned 70 today. Uh, he sadly passed away a few years ago, but yes. he, he defines competition as 
what your company or the, your customers think of whenever they're having their pain that you can solve. Okay. So uh, if, if we go with that specific definition, my competition is definitely spreadsheets. <laughs> spreadsheets. And, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and, I believe that that's actually the good answer. It's like you've been asked this before. So keep going. Uh, there are companies doing AI in manufacturing and, and, and what we think that, and, and I'm setting aside the joke of spreadsheets, what we think that we do way better is that we create actionable items towards the operation. Uh, I like to say, uh, I don't know where I, I saw this uh, sort of quote that says something around no content uh, company is better at technology than Netflix and no technology company is better at content than Netflix. And just like that, we, we pride ourselves to really, really understand how manufacturing works. And so we like to say that no manufacturing company is better at technology than us and no technology company is better at manufacturing than us. With that in mind, we create these actionable items towards the actual operation. We really understand the conditions of the of our users and to provide something that is useful to our users. That's something that we like to, to say that we, we stand out. And we are, uh, all, we are not uh, focused in one specific part of the process or one specific machine on the process, but the whole um, value chain. And to be able to understand that, I think creates massive amounts of value to our customers. So does that mean that you're maniacally focused on manufacturing? You turn down other use cases that weren't manufacturing in nature because you're saying, no, that's not our focus. I would say uh, manufacturing value chain. So taking into consideration from uh, demand forecast, replenishment procedures. And, and when I say replenishment procedures, it's way just more, more different than that, obviously. Uh, the manufacturing process by itself and the, and the finished good care of. So yeah, I would say that that's our niche and that's our, our scope. And we have become really good at it. And well, with enough evidence of generating value to, to big customers like Heineken, John Deere, among others. Are you all enterprise? I mean, like those are big customers. No, not all enterprise, uh, just the ones that most people know of. If we had another pandemic out of the blue, five years from now, part of me says as much as we're changing, it'd be the same thing. <laughs> we, we'd, be, we'd be all at home again, start all over. I don't know if we've learned enough. And I like your comments there. And then, you know, I guess we're just, we're off the rails. I mean, this is just your editorial, but you're in the business. So, I mean, at least the supply chain, as it relates to supply chain. And secondly, you also mentioned at the start of this podcast that um, some of what you've done has also helped factory operators work remotely better. I'd like to hear about both. Your, your, just your, your editorial or your, your point of view and what you did to enable factory operators to work remotely. Sure. So uh, on your first question, if we divide the pandemic timeline, if you may, maybe the first month or first quarter after the pandemic struck, at least here in, in, in the Americas, I think that, that there was a time of such um, not knowing what was going to happen and, and uncertainty regarding a lot of stuff. And if we were all going to die, or if everyone yeah. started uh, rampaging the, the, the markets, buying toilet paper and, and whatnot. So I think that part, we would skip that part. Like that 
Hold on, hold on. You don't think anybody'd rush to buy toilet paper? I bet you, if I'm a betting man, I'm betting the toilet paper happens again, all over again. You are much more optimistic than me, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'll give the toilet paper. <laughs> but I think uh, there will not be that much of an uncertainty regarding what was going to happen towards everything. I remember uh, talking to my wife saying, what's going to happen? Uh, are we safe? Uh, what should we do? It's uh, I don't know that like the, the the uncertainty part of the of the whole journey regarding this uh, pandemic. Nowadays we're sort of a obviously there's there's a vaccine and I don't want to get into that, but there are a lot of things that that has reduced the the, the COVID uh, impact in our daily lives. But uh, I think the uncertainty part would would not be there anymore. At least we will know like oh here we go again. <laughs> and and after that we will walk the walk as, as we should. Um, well, hopefully, that's that's one part of the operation. And the other part, yeah, like like we are providing the the operations and and and, and operators with the capability of, of remote working. To be fair, is not every, not every user of us has this capability. It depends on how deep the company is gets well, allows us to, to provide our technology and what i mean by that is for example uh we were we we're able to provide the the operation with the ideal and I'm, I'm i'm gonna use an example right now so one of our customers is a, a huge ceramic towel manufacturer and their operations started with a huge furnace and i was talking to the furnace operator and i was saying like hey how do you decide the set point of the temperature of the furnace and he was like well it's around 1200 and 1800 degrees and I was uh, okay. That's a huge range. What in, in that specific range? How do you decide the set point each time you you set it up? And I was expecting something highly material engineering sort of stuff, and it went the other way around. <laughs> like, yeah, if it's really cold outside, I just use the higher range of it, and if it's really warm, I just go in the lower part. And I was like, wow, a multi-billion-dollar company depends on whether these guys were in a jacket or not. <laughs> so, what we did is we gather all the data and uh, train our algorithms. And now the algorithms define the exact ideal set point of that furnace, of the temperature of that, of that furnace. Our technology has the capability to go directly to the furnace and change the set point automatically. So if the company, but the, this specific company does not like that and they, they, they like to, to sort of have a, a gatekeeper for the operator to be the gatekeeper of that. And in that case, the operator needs to be there changing the set point of the, of the furnace. So what I mean by that is that we do have the capability of providing enough technology to the operation to empower the operators to work from home or remotely or whatever. But in some cases, the company, uh, uh, maybe it's a company policy or something else, they like to keep the operator there. One thing about COVID, this thought through supply chain is that how vulnerable we really are. And we're all in this together. We're reliant on one another to leave our, lead our vibrant lives. So uh, that's one thing that's really stuck out to me. I mean, you think everything is highly technical, complex. You get a, uh, a, a pandemic and all of a sudden it comes back down to fundamentals. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and one thing that it's and, and where AI really, really creates a lot of value is that even though it literally is back to fundamentals. It's sort of predictable. 
how how this the systems are going to work and by systems i mean value chains uh i like to think of them as a, as a complex system so if something happens anywhere in the in the value chain the ripple effect that it's going to have it's it's predictable so if you can predict how any item is going to or how any slight change in one part of the of the value chain is going to affect the rest of it you're able to rearrange or, or react accordingly to that and that's where the technology is i think it's it's helping right now where can folks find you and find value yeah so uh my email is federico f-e-d-e-r-i-c-o at valiot.io that's v-a-l-i-o-t dot i-o that's my email and uh well our website it's valiot.io <laughs> Is there anything that we didn't cover that we should have, that I missed? Not on top of my head. I mean, this has been a great conversation. <laughs> I definitely want to be here right now. <laughs> What's your current plan over the next year? Yeah, so venture funded. Uh, we raised a seed round last year, late last year. Sorry, we, uh, the round was led by a Chicago-based venture capital firm called Motivate Ventures, which has been great, great partners. Uh, they have helped. They have helped us a lot. Um, we are expecting to reach our annual goal by May. Uh, that's five xing our revenue by May instead of by December. And uh, so yeah, we're currently under uh, this round. Uh, hopefully, we will soon start to to define how we're gonna approach the Series A. Uh, so yeah, that's it. The other, the other, other investor stage firm also amazing guys. I mean, I, I always say to entrepreneurs that at fundraising, look at who you're partnering with because having a good partner is as good or even better than just than having the money in your bank. Uh, and, and one thing I wanted to ask before we break is, I presume this is customers in all formats, meaning they could be on-prem, they could be in cloud, they could be both. You're servicing all clients of all types? That's a good question. We're not. Uh, we're only people or customers that allow cloud services. We did once one on-premise and that was the one and only. So if I'm using on-premise today, that wouldn't be a fit for your company as of right now. It's, it's all cloud-based type services, SaaS services. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, Frederico, it's been fantastic. Um, and look, uh, we'll, we'll keep up with you and I wish you nothing but the best of success. Thank you all. I, I've had a really, really good time talking to you and, and hopefully it, your listeners find it valuable. Yeah, I'm sure hundred percent they will. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> so, Hey, Hey listeners, we're ending again and you know, the drill here. Uh, if you have any feedback, comments, questions, concerns, please hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Otherwise, we will see you on the podcast. See you all later. Bye-bye.